Welcome to the Discovering Our Scars podcast, where we share personal experiences so we can learn from each other. Our mission is to talk about things you might relate to, but that you don't hear being discussed in other places. Our hope is that you're encouraged to have honest conversations with people in your own life. I'm Steph. And I'm Beth. On today's show, we're going to have an honest conversation titled, How Did You Survive Your Childhood? with our special guest, Sky Knox. Hi, Sky. Hey, everybody. So, so Sky and I go way, way back to like, I think it's been, I think it's five years that we go back five, four, five years or 20 years. I'm not really sure. I don't sure how far it goes back. Well, wait, one of those years is a pandemic year. So it is like so a 20 years. Yeah, yeah. 20 years. Yeah. Um, so Sky and I know each other from uh, DIY. Um, I guess like, again, I think it was like five years ago, we were both in this DIY star competition thing that the um, Hallmark Channel's show called Home and Family, um, they were having like, I think they had like 20 people come on to the show, do like a, a segment on the show, and then they had people vote and then pick the winner of that. And you were on, I think the week before, you were on the first, were you the first one? I think it was the first week. You were, yeah, because you were before us. I remember we saw you um, on the show and then we were on. And so that's kind of how we became familiar with you because you were in that, like we never met, but you were on that. And so we like, we like followed all the people that were on that. And then a year or two later, we actually saw you at a DIY conference. Me and my mom saw you there and we we're like, oh my gosh, Sky. And we knew who you were, but we like bonded. Like we, like we were all like, oh yeah, home and family. How cool. So um, that's kind of how we know each other is through through DIY. I mean, boy, that that whole trip, um, you know, it was in Atlanta, wasn't it? We were at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And it was just because I think there was one or two other people that were on the show yeah. and it was just so yeah. neat. So, um, yeah. And I just, you know, from then we were like instant friends and, you know, we've it, it just your mom is also great, too. So it's uh, and I love that you guys are daughter and mom and mom and daughter and not best friends kind of thing. That's how my relationship with my mom is. And it's great, you know, people are best friends with their moms, but um, I just I just love that because I don't hear that, that 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 often, you know? So that was really neat um, to see that relationship too. So that's how we met and you still, DIY is still a passion of yours, but you are really focused on something that you've always been passionate about as a singer songwriter, correct? Yeah. Um, now I'm, so I've always, I've started singing, um, and even songwriting since I was in junior high school and, um, you know, was signed to, uh, I had a developmental deal with, uh, Geffen records and, um, then had some subsequent, uh, independent records I've toured and, you know, done a lot of stuff that I was really proud of um, in my early life, but we'll get into the interesting uh, questions later. Um, I found myself in 2001 uh, moving up from San Diego, where I lived for 15 years. Um, I, I moved up to, uh, to LA, and I just realized, you know, I really want to pursue this more commercially and film and television and also see what else I can do on my own because I was always writing with this one person. And um, so it's I, the, the moment I landed in LA, I was just in love with this town because the energy and the talent and um, the people and the possibilities and the dreams, it's just so great. So yes, and then I also want to clarify that we are over Zoom because you and are, are in LA and we are in uh, Florida. So yes, 
that is where we are. I love what you said about LA, about how when about how when you arrived, you just instantly fell in love with the energy and and the promise of the creativity and the promise of everybody's dreams. Because I think that being on the opposite side of the country, right? I've always lived in Florida. I think that that I have a jaded view of LA. Like, oh, it's a place where dreams go to die, right? But you have this really positive uh, take on it, which I love. That makes so much sense to me. Of course, no wonder my friends are drawn to LA because it's a place where there's all kinds of dreams and all kinds of promise and all kinds of creative energy. So I really love that. So Sky, we kind of know where you are today. And, um, you know, I, I definitely know you personally and just like have been um, kind of just love your story and kind of how you've got to where you are today. But that's really what we want to focus on is, um, is this question, how did you survive your childhood? And this is an interesting question because this is something that someone recently asked you. And I wanted to see if you could just kind of tell that story kind of briefly how that came up and, um, and how you answered that. Yeah, um, well, in 2019, my mom, who at the time was, um, you know, just knocking on 90, um, she was diagnosed with uh, mild cognitive impairment, which is also called MCI. And that is not dementia. It's sort of right before dementia. And it's, you know, and that which is also before Alzheimer's. Then... Uh, during the pandemic, um, it progressed. So there's amnestic and non-amnestic. Amnestic comes from amnesia. And uh, amnestic is mostly just memory, kind of having difficulty with memory. Non-amnestic starts getting into components like um, pr- uh, multitasking and speed of processing information, um, auditory, uh, you know, really having the ability to hear um, words and be able to process what you're hearing. Um, and then also memory as well. So she then in 2020 during the pandemic became, you know, MCI with the non-amnestic component. And with that comes a lot um, of stress. And, and my twin brother um, uh, moved down there uh, in October of 2019, right before the pandemic. He ultimately you know, stayed down there, which was a, a blessing in the fact that there was somebody there to drive my mom and get food and so on and so forth, which again, I'm very thankful for. Uh, but there's also the other component where we have had very uh, lots of difficulties. Um, he's actually my twin. We struggle to communicate and get along and, you know, that that's, could be even a, another podcast is how trauma can really blow up blow up or bring together siblings. Um, in our case, it, it really blew it up. And so with that, I called, um, I called the Alzheimer's Association. As I'm talking and they're sort of asking me questions, it just, they start helping me unravel my story. And really it was incredibly cathartic to have sort of this stranger who does know what I'm going through in terms of the disease really kind of be there for me so that, you know, it wasn't a family member, it wasn't a friend that I was burdening. It was this person that was there specifically to help um, listen and just listen. And, you know, of course I'm going, I, I, you know, as we're talking, I'm starting to really like, you know, I figure like, hey, I'm just going to tell her everything that's going on. And so at the end of the conversation, you know, she's like, you know, Sky, I need to ask you a question. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, 
how, how did you survive this? How did you, and you mean my mom? No, no, no. How did you survive your childhood? Because of course I went, <laughs> I went all the way there. And I just said, you know what? Nobody has ever asked me that question before. You know, they, they tell me what happened and what, what happened to you. And, oh, I'm sorry that, that happened. But they never asked me how did I survive it. And I just kind of kind of like took my breath away. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I need to kind of think about this. But quite quickly, I just really thought, you know, it was really my mom. It was um, my coaches. It, were, it, it, was my, it was my friends and... Um, and the people that I was lucky to have who really shored me up and protected me and also saw me for who I thought I was. And um, that was really, uh, you know, again, this was only about a month ago. And so as I really kind of process that question, I really become more and more and more thankful for my friends, for my you know family who has been there for me, my husband um, who's amazing, but the one thing that's the common denominator is that I had to be open to it. I had to really seek out these people, and luckily I'm a social person. I'm an A type. <laughs> And a ta- entertainer, so I guess that's kind of in my nature to to reach out. So uh, I know it can be difficult for some people that aren't as social, but I'm just saying that it is absolutely key. It was for me, at least, to know that um, if somebody knew what I was going through, they could see me. They could really see me. So just let's get into it. Tell us what was your childhood like. Um, <laughs> it's like, what's the universe like? Um, right. Where do we start? Where do we start? Well, I'm curious. I know if someone asked me about my childhood, I know what instantly comes in my head. So I'm curious, like when that question comes to you, what, where do you instantly go? The one word I would say is, um, on yellow. I was always on yellow. I was always watching, um, from the furthest past I could go in my mind, um, waking up and just being on alert. That was my childhood right there. I remember there was one time when I was really little, I think I was probably five. Um, you know, we'd go to the snow whenever there was snow that we would go, um, in the local mountains in Big Bear and we'd go sledding. And one time it was my brothers and I, um, we were just, and I think my mom was with us too. And um, we were sledding down the hill, blah, blah, blah. And, and I went down once and I really, it was after we were getting really confident. And I was so light at the time that the sled just took me all the way down and then ended up over this little gully that was really hard for me to get up and over. It took me a while. So by the time I got back to the top of the mountain, um, nobody was around. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like they left, you know, a little kid's mind, you yeah. think, you know. And so here's my dad that comes up in this red camper van that we had. And that was the first and only time I can remember in my memory that I was glad to see him. Only because I thought I was going to be alone for the rest of my life, you know. Uh, That quickly went away, but that's the only memory of when I, you know, 
was happy to see this person. And the need to be alert came from from your dad. Did, did he have a temper? Did he have an addiction issue? Kind of fill us in what was going on there. Yeah. So in general, and this is all the stuff that we found out later. So I, you know, I was born in 1966. So this was way before Oprah. <laughs> and it was way before, um, you know, we really started talking about mental illness. And so we had no clue. He wasn't an alcoholic. But we found out later that most likely, and, and I don't know if he ever got officially diagnosed, but um, when my mom went to really talk to an, uh, uh, a psychiatrist about his, you know, tendencies and, and just who he, who he was and what he did, you know, they basically, he was diagnosed as sociopathic, um, and he could have, I'm sure he suffered from, de- from depression. He probably was bipolar. You know, and yes, his temper. So he had parents. His his dad, which I found out later, went to UCLA Law School. So he was really, really bright man, which I never met, and I, I never met his mom either. Um, his mom suffered from mental illness, and she actually ended up in a mental hospital and died in a mental hospital. Um, but she would really uh, she abused him. Like I don't know, I'm, I don't know how how badly physically. I know he she did. But it was just uh, belittling, just horrible, horrible, um, you know, verbal abuse. Um, but yeah, so he would be um, incredibly, uh, he would yell. I don't know if there was a day when he didn't yell at us. And physically, he was physically abusive. Um, you know, just the grip of his hand could bruise your arm. His uh, instrument of uh, abuse that he always used was a belt and belt buckle. Um, so those are the kind of things that, you know, and it didn't, it, the thing was is that it wasn't like, you know, if you're a bad kid or if you're, you know, if you're kind of going off the rails and this and that, you know, and there's no, there's no excuse no matter what. But, but, you know, we had no rules. There were no rules as to when and why you would get abused. Um, you know, you'd pet a cat. Some for some reason, hey, you know, what are you doing petting that cat? And you know, boom, you know, um, you could you could just look at him wrong. You know, I mean, it's just it. That's why I mean, like being on alert. It just you just had no rules, so it was constant blindsiding, which was which was really the most torturous part of it was not knowing what you could do. Um, so ultimately, my my thing was whenever he did have work, which he didn't work much, couldn't hold a job, uh, and he came home, uh, my thing was always you heard the car or he had a motorcycle, you'd hear it, you'd look at the window to see, can you see what his face looks like? You know, does it look kind of relaxed or does it look intense? And if it had any kind of intensity, boom, in your room, hiding, so that you wouldn't get in his way. That was every day. So I'm curious, you said that you were were and are close to your mom. Was this something that your mom was aware of was happening? Was she doing it to him? Or was he doing it to her? My mom grew up, you know, she was born in 1930. She lived in Minnesota, grew up in a dairy farm in Minnesota in the middle of nowhere and had the most wonderful father. And um, they raised Guernseys and, you know, just had this idyllic life. She had um, five sisters and one brother and ultimately moved out to California because one of her sisters did. And she 
she got just sort of, um, you know, somehow my dad was incredibly charming, which is a common thing with sociopaths. Right. Um, and he charmed her, and he she wanted babies. She was getting into her 30s, and by in that time, it was like, you are old to have kids. Um, she didn't have me until she was 36, I think, 37 at the time. Again, now that's kind of more common, but so she was just sort of blindsided, and I think that for a while he might have been able to hide a little bit, but his temper just ultimately, you know, you know he started yelling at her. So as we got older, she would tell me, like, but when before we were born, he was kind of fine, um, and I'm, you know, who knows what that means. Um, but then as soon as we, the kids were born, because my brother, my older brother is only a couple years older than I am, and then my twin, you know, I've got a twin, so boom, you got three kids. And um, he just became apparently really jealous. And I think that the ways that, that he would, you know, really, you know, start showing his abuse to her was just in general always about, always something about the kids. Here's the thing is that he did not, he couldn't hold a job. So my mom was incredibly ambitious at the time. She moved to, to LA she, after going to nursing um, school and she was working in hospitals and then she was hired um, to, by the community college. She said, they said, if you go get your master's, we would love to have you as the director of student health services. So she then got her master's. And again, in the 70s, for a woman to get a master's, it's like that was, you know, not super common. It was becoming more common, but she was ambitious. Um, but mostly because I think she knew that she needed to be uh, self sufficient. And because her, you know, her husband wasn't doing anything. And so she was working all the time to keep us, you know, in you know, in, un, with the roof over our heads and, you know, food on the table. So she wasn't around for a lot of the abuse. But I also think ultimately, and this is where what was interesting through my counseling, after, you know, several months of when I started initially uh, going to counseling in, high, in college, my counselor turned to me and said, okay, we've talked a lot about your dad. Now tell me about the anger you have about your mom. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? My mom is an angel. She saved us. She, you know, all these crazy things. And then, and then, of course, we started talking, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, the whole thing about why didn't she leave and this and that, and um, why didn't she protect you? And, and, of course, we know now when you, are, when you are ultimately abused, because she was. She was really, um, he was very, very threatening. Um, and at the end there, you know, we're talking about death, death threats. So, um, and my mom is this gentle, sweet, kind woman. And it just breaks my heart to think like how she was alone. She didn't talk, you didn't talk about those things back in that time. You didn't talk to your sisters or you didn't tell your best friend because, you know, ultimately she did tell one of her friends, which helped her. It was a, a time where she felt absolutely stuck. And then, of course, the stigma of divorce, you know, God forbid. And that ultimately was, yeah, that was something I had to process was, okay, mom, your, your personal social status was more important than my safety, you know, really? 
Um, so I had to process that and forgive her because, you know, she, she just didn't, she didn't have the tools and the courage and the chutzpah to, to go beyond what other people thought about her at the time. And, um, but she, she protected me and I hope my brothers, she did protect us in the right times. How you talked about being in college and, and going for counseling, but I'm guessing that it was that you knew even before then that the abuse was wrong. So do you remember there being a point where you were consciously aware that the abuse was wrong? You know, it, you know, it's really interesting is that I never, I never had an, a conscious time when I didn't know it wasn't wrong. You know, I think about when I'm two years old or whenever, you know, I, I don't even know how far back, but I never felt like uh, this person was not abusing me. Do you remember when you first told somebody about it? Like a family member or like your mom or somebody that you trusted? Hmm. I'm trying to think if I talked to my mom about, I mean, she saw it, so I didn't have to tell her. Um, the only thing, the only time I did tell her something was when my dad, when I was fifth grade maybe, and you start developing, and he started trying to fondle me, you know, touching me in places that, you know, I'm like, okay, this is, no, this is not happening. And at first it started with tickling, you know, before bed, tickling before bed, and then it got more involved. And... I'm like, okay, this is no, no way. Not after all this crap, you know, that I've gone through. So I told my mom. And she was like, you know, a wet chicken, man. She was pissed. And I saw it. And she said, you will not touch my daughter. And that was the first time I saw her be really angry. And he never touched me again. And so that spoke to me so much. I mean, that was like, wow, thank God, thank God, you know, that she, A, believed me, and B, did something about it. I, I think the first real adult, aside from kids that you tell stuff to, and then they're kind of like into the drama, so they're not really kind of helpful, um, was my coach, my diving coach. Um, and that was amazing. Um, so he would keep me after... Um, practice and we would um and of course the the optics of it today would be kind of sketchy but no he was um he was uh, like a big brother and just really kind of helped me not have to deal with going home always like right away if I didn't feel like I wanted to go home he'd hang out and you know we'd jump on the tramp and work on techniques and stuff like that. Um, but it's interesting how, n like, the only person in my memory, um, and this was when I was uh, in eighth grade, uh, when my dad ultimately just completely lost it, and that's when he really, um, you know, we. the story is real quickly is that um, I had a diving meet, and it was an, an away meet. And um, something came up, and he didn't want he didn't want me to go as a punishment because he would use that as punishment all the time because I loved my sport and I had tons of friends. And 
you know, so if I didn't do what he said or something that comes up, and I don't, I don't know what the situation was, he would threaten all the time that I'm going to pull you out of diving, you know. So this particular weekend, he said, you know, you're not going to this meet. And this meet was like one of the best and most fun meets, you know, every year that we all look forward to. So my mom said, no, you're going to go. And so she also brought my brothers, which my brothers never come on meets, never. But she somehow, some instinct, told her, hey, let's just all go. So we go, we come back on the end of the weekend, and we enter the house, and it is trashed. Every piece of furniture, dishes, glasses, uh, cabinets, um, dresser drawers, you know, he, broken. Um, And so we knew, like, oh, crap, we got to get the hell out of here before he comes back. So, of course, we're getting our stuff. I'm in my room. All of a sudden, I hear my dad, and it's just, I, I, I just, I knew that we were potentially dead. And so it was not a fun night. Um, ultimately, he was trying to, he was going to try to kidnap me. I was in the car. I was so, I could not even move. Everybody's gone um, after, you know, he was, you know, he ended up getting violent and um but people everybody got out except me and then um somehow some way you know he told me to get out of the car and I got out of the car and I ran and the next thing I know I'm at my neighbor's house and they call the police and somehow my mom had also gone over to another neighbor and called my her secretary and her husband uh Dwayne Dwayne and Marion and Dwayne comes in, I I remember for the first time in my life, and I'm in eighth grade, uh, he comes over with the bat. And, you know, there could have been like, you know, in movies where the light shines behind him, and it's like, la, 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 like, my hero. And it was like, oh, my God. I just feel like that was like the first time I thought, okay, I think I'm going to be okay. I think I'm going to survive this. Like, Like, literally physically survived this um and that was amazing so besides my coach um you know I guess my mom had talked to um her secretary and her husband and you know it was more between her and them but they you know we ultimately then stayed with them for a couple weeks um so that we'd be safe and um you know it's funny I, I'm telling you guys this right now and I'm like was this real did this actually happen? I mean, this it's really kind of surreal. So was that the end of it? Was eighth grade, like, did you go back to living with him? So after that, I think it was, I think he was finally out of the house. Enter the new saga of breaking into the house <laughs> and um, restraining orders and things like that. Um, so, yeah, but it was a lot better that he wasn't there. It was, you know, but we were, I was still on alert. Did your parents get divorced? Were they? Yeah, she finally, you know, my mom knew at that point, and, and she had, uh, you know, people that were uh, her counselors at her work that were saying, you know, Lois, you will never change him. You will never change him. And that was the biggest thing that she had to learn because she wanted to try to fix the situation. She wanted to fix it. She thought if she could be so much nicer and this and, you know, and loving and, you know, that what normal people, you know, respond to. Well, and as a right. nurse, she was in a healing profession, right? So she has this instinct to heal people. 
but mm-hmm. he was not open to that. He, you know, somebody who has those sociopathic tendencies, I don't think even has the ability to be self-aware to know that they need healing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And there is no counseling ever. And I don't even know if he'd even go to counseling, you know, because when you're sociopathic, it's like, hey, there's nothing wrong with me. It's you people. Um, but I'm curious, like you said, um, you know, you have worked on this. You have, um, you know, had counseling on this. Um, when did that start? When did you ultimately realize I need to talk to somebody about this? This is not okay. Like, where did that all start? Well, again, my mom, you know, thank God, you know, talking to her. Okay, so, um, yeah, as a sophomore, I was dealing with this guy who, you know, was a musician and an amazing, amazing musician who I actually met when I was 16 in high school. And so, you know, of course, I moved down to hang with the band, um, you know, down because everybody was down in San Diego. So I moved down there to be with the band and brings up he would bring up all kinds of things and, you know, treat me certain ways. And, and I kept telling my mom, you know, over and over, like, you know, this is the problem I have. I have so many problems. I have so many problems. And, you know, of course, you know, she's thinking, what are, who, where is this coming from? And and she she said, hey, you know, it sounds like you need to get some counseling, you know, and it didn't even dawn on me counseling, you know, and again, this is 85, 86, 87, around there. Um, so again, it's, it's still very foreign. And um, so luckily I, I started and that was the beginning of the healing, you know, just simply going to the first session. So were you able to, like, did you regularly go to counseling from that time? And I was going once a month. And I think consistently I did that for about two years and then maybe three. And then, you know, I, I, I would stop and then I'd go back and I'd do some, you know, follow up. Um, and yeah, so it, that was really, it, it was a consistent once a month. What's the biggest takeaway from counseling that you got? The time when my counselor said to me, you know, I was as you guys can probably tell, my mom was this figure of protection and uh, safety and and that, you know, I had this overwhelming fear that if anything happened to her, what would I do? I like in my mind, I was thinking I would die. I hadn't known this because there was this continual fear of something. And so the counselor said, you know, you know, well, I would say, you know, hey, who, if my mom dies, who would hug me? Who would be there to hug me? And she's like, hug yourself. And I'm like, uh, oh, what? <laughs> and that was, again, that was really a, 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 a pivotal, pivotal, pivotal time in my healing was that, oh, so I could actually give myself self-comfort, self-love, I mean, you know, and self-care. It's like, oh, and not only that from being a kid, because I think we get stuck a lot of times in abuse and in and, and trauma, that when you're abused in that time, you sort of stay in that mentality of being a kid because it's just so traumatic. And that was the first step into adulthood for me and accountability and power and self-control. And, you know, it was the greatest gift, obviously, to for me. And that just simple thing was so healing for me. So, yeah, that was amazing. Something you had mentioned when we were talking earlier was um, 
not today, early, earlier, um, was that you had to learn when approaching somebody to not approach them with fist up, but with chest up. Could you explain that a little bit? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was a scrappy kid, you know? I was a tomboy, you know? The, the, the boys dug it because I would play every kind of sport with them and keep up with them. Um, and there was this certain toughness that, you know, that I had this identity that, you know, nobody is going to F with me. And, and you know, when you're in elementary school, and we, my dad would switch us to different schools every year. I mean, I went, by, by the time I was in junior high school, I think I'd gone to like eight different schools. You know, anybody that came close, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to let you in, but just know if you cross me, I'm going to F you up, you know? And um, soon, you know, that, that, that's fine and that's a good way to survive, but as you get older and, you, and people start, like, becoming adults and you really have to start trusting, that doesn't work as much. And you, and you actually, it actually does attract people that want to fight you and want to. So the, the chest up came from the confidence because that's really, fist up is a false confidence. It's complete fear. And when I was able to start having chest up, that's when I knew, you know, look at Superman, you know, he doesn't put his fists up, he puts his chest up. So that's what I'm trying to do more and more. Sometimes I feel my fists coming up, you know, and I'm like, okay, calm down, bring it down. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. And, um, yeah, breathe too. It helps me remind, you know, when they say to breathe and have good posture, it's a good thing to have chest up. So something I know about you is you have a pretty perfect, amazing husband. How long have so, you been married? July 9th. It's going to be our 16th anniversary. Oh my gosh, that's when this episode comes out, yeah, isn't it? It is, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Well, my question is, so with all of the the junk of your childhood, all of the stuff that you've been through, how did you find this amazing husband? Uh, you know, it's sent down from heaven, you know, it's... How do how do we any how does any of us find somebody that's you know that is obviously not perfect but perfect for me you know it's just a lot of work that I did there's no way there is no way I would have attracted uh, this guy to me um, if I hadn't done my work and I hadn't you know been committed to to really having the courage to find the truth about myself and to face the truth about myself about myself he needed a lot of healing too he had a lot of trauma in his life and i do believe and there's books written about this where we attract each other so we attract the person that will help us heal each other and um you know for sure it's not been super easy it's so it's so good now and we've gone through a lot together and he's gone through his own healing for sure which he had a lot to go through and I've gone through more healing because of it um, but yeah I mean and plus he's a musician too we just had a lot of common common things I mean we would have you know he was a hockey ice ice uh, semi-pro ho uh, hockey player and so he was in sports as well he musician you know a type personality funny you know but I think again that the, the the greatest quality is his kindness for sure so speaking of, of your husband, Matt is his name? Is it? Matt, okay. So speaking of your husband, Matt, um, and speaking of you guys both as a musician, 
you have written a new song actually about your childhood. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just this quick snippet. I mean, it was start. I started writing it about my mom. Like, I gotta write a song about my mom, you know. Um, and it just started off just this image in my head, you know, her being in uh, the cornfields and the cornrows in Minnesota. And for whatever reason, I started just thinking about her one quality, which is that she's just kind. And I think about, well, where did she get that, you know? And of course, then it was her father, who was, um, uh, you know, my grandfather, who I never really met. I was two. Um, so I can't wait to meet him again. But um, yeah, so he had the kindness that he gave to her, thank God. And then I'm like, how did she end up with my dad? But, you know, that happens. But then I realized that, of course, um, as I'm writing the song, I'm like, wait a minute, here's a full circle moment here because how did I end up with this kind man, you know, after all the stuff that I've seen, you know, and it's like, thank God it was because my mom and that she taught me how to recognize what that was. And she was an example of kindness. Kindness is in and of itself the greatest for me quality of a human being. Well, would you be willing to sing us this song? And I think you have maybe a little guest that might be able to help out as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would love to. And it's called Come Around? Yep, Come Around. A little girl Swing her ties before the snow Loved every day and couldn't wait for tomorrow She was handed down her kindness from her dad From all of those sundown talks they had And she knew that his kind of love His kind of love Some babies in the midst of a marital storm. The house, it wasn't batted down. So the windows, windows they all broke out like shrapnel from a shotgun. He could take them all in a His kind of love, his kind of love, his kind of love Don't always come around She gathered her kids in her tiny two-door And the courage to finally tell him no more Now she wouldn't let him love them With his kind Anymore. Well, I 
like choked up by it (laughs) it's really um that's a really powerful tribute to the force that your grandfather continues to be through the love that he showed your mom I mean that's really that's really powerful Sky I hadn't thought of it that way I had but you know the way that you said it was my and my grandfather because I always said my mom's dad um and he is my grandfather, even though I never met him, but he's still, he is still loving me and being kind to me through the fact that he has been an example for me too. So that's, wow, you know, didn't even know. <laughs> that's what your story tells us. Like, that's how powerful love is, that it has transcended, you know, a childhood that was filled with abuse and mistreatment and pain but because your grandfather loved like that, that's, that's how powerful love is. That's incredible. You can pull. And that's why I keep saying that people in your life, people, 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 because, you know, if they, if you can look to an example and just inspire, be inspired by them and to aspire to be like them, then, you know, you can end up sitting in a chair writing songs like this and married to a man who is amazing, you know, and writing a song about him. You know, so I'm really, really fortunate and grateful. Wow, Sky, thank you so much for um, for letting us share that song with you. That was really powerful. Thank you for giving us your time today for being here with us. We always like to ask our guests um, this one question, uh, which is what book, TV show or podcast are you excited about right now? Well, I'm excited about this podcast. Yes, thank you. <laughs> no, truly, true, truly, though, I, I think you guys are great. And um, yeah, I just love the fact that, you know, I think it's your energy that, that makes people really comfortable. And, you know, the discovery that even I've had just in this conversation has been great. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love Surviving Your Scars, and it's, 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 a, it's a benefit to the podcast world, so... Well, we appreciate that. But other than our podcast, what TV show, book, or podcast are you into right now? Well, I'll have to say that I'm my heart is broken because I binged all the way through uh, Shit's Creek, which was, oh my God. 
Stephanie made me do that too. And I felt heartbroken at the end too. I was like, I need another season. You know what though? It's perfect. It is perfect. It was perfect. And um, in fact, um, uh, Alexis, the, the character, you know, Alexis' character, she is now in another show that we started watching. But are you watching it now? We literally were talking about she just that told me about right it today. before the episode. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Talk about it. It's the one about Kevin. Yes, like F U Kevin. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess that's the name of the show. But, but yeah, it's a little bizarre. Have you watched it? We did. We saw episode one, half of it, halfway through. We we may not be in a headspace right now for for that because we just came we just came off of shits. So we're total shitheads right now. Well, I have to say, it took me at least three attempts to actually get into Shits Creek, and I only persevered because Stephanie was like, "No, no, it will be worth it," and it was totally worth it. So when she tells me to try a show, I have a lot of like. Like I have some gumption about it. I'm like, yes, I trust her. This is going to be good. And she's pretty excited about the Kevin show. So so Kevin can F himself is what we can say on the podcast. But that is her new Annie Murphy, I believe is her name. That's her new show. And she is great in it. So I watched the first three episodes and I got to say, it's great. It is definitely you have to be in the right headspace. It's not a happy show. (laughs) It is not Shit's Creek. No, no, no. But she's so good in it. She she does an accent. She does like a Jersey accent pretty well. I was pretty impressed with that. So I really think it's great because I, how many times have we seen those sitcoms where you have an overweight white man with a, a hot wife and she's always the butt of the joke and she's always the mom and um, so that's what the show is about. It's about like that, that sitcom that we've all seen and then what the wife is really thinking and what the wife is really going through. And I, I love it. Yeah. It's sort of like a, a slight nod to Ally McBeal, I think, um, which I didn't really watch that entire show. I should go back and actually watch it because it's the whole, like what's actually going on in somebody's mind. Um, yeah. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, if, if it's okay, um, my husband and brother-in-law uh, and uh, their company, Wonderful, has uh, actually developed a, an app called Benji. And it's all about this. It's all about talking about like the different shows. And it's just all, if you want to get on there and start talking about shows, it is so much fun. And in fact, they're soon coming soon. And I think maybe this coming week, I think they're going to start having collections. So if it's kind of the Pinterest of, of movies where if you want like a weekend movie, weekend movies, you can collect, you know, put the, all your movies and save it in the, that collection. If you want to do like Christmas movies or, you know, uh, you know, whatever feel feel good feel good movies you can make you can sort of create your own um collections but it's really really amazing where you can get on there and just have the most fascinating conversations with people that you don't even know and they like people are like super into it and they have total details about shows that you never would have known about and i've discovered so many new shows that i would never have learned about had i not you know you know scrolled down it so if you want to check out check that out. it's called Benji on uh, just apple store yeah. yeah we'll definitely check that out and we'll put a link to it in the show notes too is it that that's it okay i'm downloading it 
<laughs> good. And you can follow me too. You can follow me and I'll follow you. And so whatever collections I have, like you can check it. Hey, what is Sky into? You know, like if documentaries or whatever, like earth documentaries or, you know, Shit's Creek, whatever that genre is um, that, you know, and then I can also follow you and see what you're doing. And so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and also where can people find you? Where can people find your music? More information about you. Awesome. Yeah. Simple skynox.com. And that's S K A as an apple I E and then K N O X dot com. Perfect. Will do. Well, we'll put a link to all of that in the show notes. Um, so again, thank you sky for being here. Um, I can't wait to see you again in person. And um, thank you guys for having me. Yes. Thank you so much. At the end of each episode, we end with questions for reflection. These are questions based on today's show that Beth will read and leave a little pause between. And you can find a PDF on our Buy Me a Coffee page. Number one, what was your childhood like? Number two, everyone has a journey and every journey involves healing. Where are you with that now? Number three, are there any areas of your past or present that you've been unwilling or unable to explore? Why? Number four, list the positive people you have in your life. And number five, do you live life with your fists up or your chest up? Why? This has been the Discovering Our Scars podcast. Thank you for joining us. 